Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When a person first gets saved, when they first discover that Jesus is the Messiah, they recognize their condition, they have an appreciation for his provision. When a person converts and they become a Christian, one of the first things that a person normally does is they go look for a Bible. They go to try to find a copy of the Word of God if they don't have one already. Most of the time, the person who is usually present to help a person to understand the things of God will give them one, but sometimes a person doesn't have one on hand, and so the individual, the Christian, who first gets saved will go and get one for themselves. Even if one is given to them, they still may just go to the bookstore and look for one that they might like, maybe a different cover or maybe even a different version. I can recall the first time that I went to a bookstore to look for a Bible, I expressed my profound ignorance of the Bible by going through the shelves and picking out a revised standard version. And of course, I remember the expression on the person's face who I was with when I mentioned, look, here it says it is revised, which means that there probably needed to be a few revisions in order to make this a better representation of what was intended to be said by whoever wrote this to begin with. And it's a standard, standard version. That must mean that this is a standard version that everyone understands and accepts. It's just the standard, sort of like using pounds or kilograms. We just decide on the standard, and this is going to be it. So we have the revised standard version. Sounds great, and I went and I bought it. I have no idea where this Bible is or what happened to it or what I did with it. I don't remember anything about this Bible besides that. It was certainly my opportunity to express my profound ignorance about English translations of the scriptures. I knew about the Bible from the synagogue. I grew up in the synagogue, and the rabbi talked about it all the time. We never read it ourselves. That was his job. He was the one who was responsible for doing that. I did learn Hebrew, and I was able to read my prayer book, and so I could follow along the service and participate as a good congregational member. But the thought of really studying the Bible... Studying the scriptures was just not part of the synagogues that I was a part of. Now, there were other synagogues where this was very much emphasized, and so I don't want to say that they are all like that, but I will say that the overwhelming majority of the synagogues today are filled with people who know very little about the scriptures. But when a Christian looks for a Bible, one of the questions that people ask, which is a very legitimate question, is which translation should I get and why? Because there are many different translations. Considering that there are many different translations and that there are some differences in the translations, how would we make a decision concerning which one we are going to read? Because if there are differences, well, some of those differences might be profound. And if those differences are profound in terms of the meaning that is represented or expressed, by that translation, then in what way can we have confidence 
that it is correct compared with others? How can we have confidence in what we are reading, in light of the differences that do exist in the translations? Well, in this program, I'm going to spend some time talking about the translations in order to give you a general overview of the struggles related to producing translations. I do believe that this will give you something to work with, that this will better equip you to be able to decide which translation you are going to get, which translation you are going to study, and why, and what alternatives you might consider in the light of some of the struggles that we do have when it comes to translations. Now, the first thing that you need to keep in mind is what you are looking at. What you are looking at is a translation from other languages. The languages that were used to write the scriptures were Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, with the exception of some places where it was written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek, with the exception of perhaps Hebrews, although we don't have any manuscripts that were written in Hebrew of the book of Hebrews. I would be surprised if it was not originally written in Hebrew and then translated into Greek. But I have no evidence for that at all. It's just my opinion. In addition to that, we have a lot of evidence that shows that the Gospel of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew and was translated into Greek. The historical references that we have concerning this expresses the fact that Matthew's Gospel was very difficult to translate into Greek. In my opinion, that makes sense because Matthew did not spend a lot of time in the synagogue being a tax collector, and so he would not have so much of an opportunity to learn the language of Hebrew as others would. However, having said that, for him to write his gospel, I would expect him, and I believe the others would expect him to write it in Hebrew if he is writing this gospel to the Hebrews, to the Jews who were there. But his Hebrew was not so good, and so there are a few places, and I have seen a couple of manuscripts that are copies of the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew, and I can see some words that are in Latin, and from what I can tell, his Hebrew was not that good, but it was adequate in order to convey what he wanted to convey. And so there's a lot that can be said about the Gospel of Matthew. This is controversial. I think it's perfectly acceptable to consider the Greek manuscripts to be acceptable on occasion, I do refer to the Gospel of Matthew that I have in Hebrew just because there are some passages that, to me, are very questionable. That's what it's about, though, is that when you run into a passage, when you run into a verse or a word that's been translated that raises a concern, you wonder, does it really say that? Because the consequences related to the answer to that question can be profound, and so it would be worthwhile on occasion, to look at the languages that the scriptures were written in in order to have a closer look at the translation because it might not be, the English rendition that you have might not be a good rendition of what was really communicated there. In general, this is the way that I believe a person should perceive the translations that we have at our disposal. I believe we should look at the translations as something that we read in order to gain a general idea of what is communicated. On occasion, there might be some profound consequences related to a misunderstanding of some of the things that are expressed in these translations, in which case there is only one alternative, and that is you have to go back to the Hebrew manuscripts that we have, 
you have to go back to the Greek manuscripts that we have. You have to look at the text in the language that it was written in. There is no alternative when it comes to concerns that people have with regards to the translations that we are looking at. So that's the general context that I think that a person should consider when it comes to looking at translations. You're looking at a text that is translated from another language, and you have to understand that sometimes there can be some issues when it comes to these translations. For example, the first thing that a person has to deal with when they are going to translate a manuscript is the cost. They're going to have to deal with the cost related to doing the translation because there is a tremendous amount of work that a person will have to go through in order to translate from one language to another. It does take a lot of work, a lot of effort. For example, there's one manuscript that I was studying a while back that someone had received a grant for in order to translate it from Hebrew into English. They received a grant of $35,000. Now, the manuscript is not small. They did have to be careful about how much time they devoted to translating this manuscript in order to ensure that they were able to earn a reasonable hourly rate with that $35,000 so that they would be able to meet their obligations in terms of paying their bills and buying food and buying fuel, those kinds of things. And looking at the translation that this person did and studying the manuscript myself, I would say that it is a very good representation of what you would get with the amount of work that would be done with $35,000. It was a reasonable representation of that. I don't think that the translation was very good. I think it could have been much better. If the person had a grant for $350,000, they could have spent a lot more time on it. They could have produced a much better translation of this manuscript, and I believe it would have been a very useful, a very valuable contribution towards the efforts of those of us who are into this kind of thing. So the financial issues regarding translations are very important, extremely important. Consider the Bible that I bought at the bookstore that I described at the beginning of this program. Somebody had to do the work in order to produce that, to produce the translation and have the book manufactured and have it distributed and have it available there so I could buy it. There was a lot of money involved in order to get that book on the shelf. Now, they are going to have to sell a lot of copies in order to compensate for the expense that the translators went through in order to make that Bible available so that I could buy it. These are the kinds of concerns that they would have to have. Otherwise, they would not be able to make it available. The financial issues are very important. They will have to sell many copies of this Bible in order to recover the costs involved in producing it. These Bibles were not produced by volunteers. They were produced by people who had to be paid in order to compensate for their time that they were using that they weren't going to be able to use to do other things in order to meet their obligations to sustain their life and those who would depend on them. So when it comes to the production of most translations, an important question that has to be answered is how many copies are they really going to sell? Now, if they put in a tremendous amount of work, if they put in a lot of work into translating these manuscripts, the more work they put in to translating these manuscripts, 
the more that their results are going to deviate from the existing translations that people didn't put as much work into. This is a very important point to understand, especially when it comes to the older versions that we have, such as the Tyndale or even the King James Version. There was a lot of work that was put into producing those translations, but not as much work as they could have put into it. If they put a lot more work into it, the translations would be a little different because they would be able to spend more time to present the intent and the thought that is conveyed in the original text. They would be able to put more time into it, and they would be able to produce a much better representation of what was intended to be said. So if the newer versions that come out after these older versions, if the newer versions come out and they deviate too much from the older versions, people are not going to buy as many copies. This is a phenomenon in the Christian world where people do have a bias towards the earlier existing translations, especially the ones that they personally have been studying and reading perhaps their entire life. There is an initial bias that will make it much more difficult for them to accept another translation that deviates too much from what they have. If it deviates too much, they won't buy many copies, and the publisher may not be able to recover their costs, their expenses, in producing the Bible to begin with. I know that this is an issue because I've asked. I've talked to the publishers about producing a more comprehensive translation, about looking for ways of raising more money in order to do more work, in order to produce a much better representation of what the original languages generally convey. And they have all told me that I have talked to, they've all told me the same thing. That is that if they put more work into doing the translation, the results would deviate too much from the existing translations, and that's what people do. They take the new version, they put it on the table side by side with the King James Version or the other versions that they've been reading, and if it deviates too much, it is not going to be accepted. That is the Christian culture that we have, and it's very unlikely that this will ever be overcome. So as an alternative, what we experience normally in church as an alternative is that on occasion you hear a pastor say something like, now in the Hebrew it says this, or what is more common is that you hear them say, in the Greek it says this. Now, why would they say that? Well, they say that because the existing translations that we have are not as good as they could be. That's why you hear that all the time. And you will continue to hear that all the time. And this is the way that we've compensated for that. We just simply have specific people who spend a little bit more time, put a little bit more effort into learning Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and we rely on them to be able to help us identify those specific passages that are a little bit more difficult to translate, that do convey a little bit more, that will help us to understand more about what the author intended to say. So the cost is one factor. The other concern has to do with the integrity of the original manuscripts. That's another concern, not just the cost related to producing the text, but another concern has to do with the integrity of the manuscripts. Now, this one is easy to resolve. You just simply need to get in touch with the fact that there has been no other text, no other set of manuscripts that has ever gone 
through the enormous amount of criticism and scrutiny as the Bible has. No other manuscript in history, no other set of manuscripts, have been criticized, have been evaluated, have been studied in order to answer this question about the integrity of the manuscripts that are being translated. And the results have always conveyed adequately that we do have enough information. We have enough copies. We have enough examples. We have enough material in order to have confidence that we have enough to say that we can be comfortable with what we have. So those are the two issues. You have the financial issues, you have the textual criticism, and the scrutiny issues when it comes to translating the manuscripts. Then the next item that I would like to express is that sometimes it is difficult to identify, to understand the intent of the person who was writing, because sometimes the speech can be either ambiguous or it can be a little incomplete in the sense that we may not really know what the person was absolutely intending to say. We can usually do a word-for-word translation in order to try to compensate for this, but sometimes it can be problematic. Let me give you an example. Consider a tree. If I tell you to consider a tree or ask you to consider a picture of a tree, what kind of a tree appears in your mind? It might be an oak tree. It might be a pine tree. It might be a eucalyptus tree. There are many different kinds of trees that it could be. How do I convey that I am thinking about one tree and it's not necessarily the same tree that you are thinking about? I can use the word tree, but without a few more words, maybe a paragraph or two, that thought about a tree that I have in my mind is not going to be well conveyed to you in your mind. On occasion, there are words that are used that can be ambiguous, which can have one meaning or another meaning. It's my opinion that sometimes, in some cases, in the Bible, to me, the writer intentionally wrote it to be ambiguous, either to present a foreshadowing of something else that I believe the Lord would be able to convey in the future through the ambiguous statement, Or, with other examples, I would say that the writer was intentionally wanting to be ambiguous in order to convey one message to one person who had a certain bias about the gospel and convey a different message to somebody else who would have a different understanding of what the gospel is. He would use the same words, but it could be interpreted in two different ways. On occasion, when you are reading through the scriptures, you will run into passages like that that can be interpreted in more than one way. These have been opportunities for debate within the Christian world since the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. And so these opportunities for ambiguity have created concerns and conflicts on occasion, and you're just simply going to have to understand that those concerns exist. For myself, I have wrestled with those concerns. I believe it's worth putting the time into wrestling with those concerns and coming to a conclusion. I have come to conclusions. On occasion, those conclusions have changed. Not recently, but I'm open to change in the event that I come across new information that will help contribute to the uncertainties that exist or that I have. This is the way things are. This is the struggle that we have when we do not 
learn the original languages that the text was written in, but even if we do learn the Greek, learn the Hebrew, be prepared for the ambiguities and the various trees that people will want to talk about that can represent different kinds of trees, and they won't tell you what those trees are, just to give you an illustration concerning the issues that we run into. Now, having said all of that, this is what people are normally really concerned about, and that is, how are we going to know the truth if there are all of these issues? I mean, if there is a cost prohibition in translating accurately, how are we going to get through that? If there are issues concerning the criticism or the scrutiny or the integrity of the manuscripts, how are we going to get through that? Well, there are ways of getting through those things. For example, in the book of Isaiah, I have a copy of the scroll that was found in the Dead Sea. I can tell you all about that manuscript that was found in the Dead Sea. I can tell you about the spelling differences. I can tell you where the scribe omitted some words. It was just simply a scribal error. I can tell you his handwriting is really difficult to read. But I got used to it after a while. I can tell you all about that manuscript. I can tell you about the differences and the discrepancies and the concerns. But looking at these issues, I will tell you with great confidence that even though I don't have 100% accuracy and precision, I have enough I have enough accuracy and enough precision. I can see that with my own eyes. I can study it myself. And I can tell you with great confidence concerning this and a number of other manuscripts to the extent where I have great confidence in what we have with the Bibles that we have, that we have enough. We have enough in order to proceed with our faith. If you want to know the truth of the Bible, let's assume that there are 100 units of truth that can be found in the Bible. Now, of course, there are millions and billions, but let's just pick a number and make it easy. If there are 100 units of truth in the Bible, would you be okay with just learning 90 of them in your lifetime? I would be okay with that myself. Now, I understand that that might not sound so good if there are a 100 of them, but if there are millions and billions of them, you're going to have to accept the fact that you're never going to know all of the truth that is contained within the Bible in your lifetime. It won't happen. Not all of the truth that is there and not all of the truth that the Lord may convey to you personally as you read and study and explore the things that were testified of him and the things that he testified of. You'll never learn everything anyway. And so be thankful for what you have. There is enough there, enough content. And when you run into a verse that you just think says a lot more than what is said there, or you're not sure that that really does say what it says, then look into the Greek, look into the Hebrew, or find someone who does know how to do that and ask them to help you. And you can proceed. It won't matter what translation you read at that point, as long as you find one that you do read. One that flows well with the way that you think. One that you feel comfortable with reading. Some of them are more paraphrases than others are paraphrases. And you should, of course, spend a little bit of time studying these differences to get an understanding of the translation that you are looking at so that you can at least begin with some reasonable understanding of to what degree are you reading a paraphrase. As I mentioned, some translations are more paraphrases than other translations are paraphrases. But they are all paraphrases because you cannot always convey the tree and you cannot always put enough work into the task of translating everything that is expressed within those words. 
Those are the struggles that we have. If you understand that, you can navigate your way through the translations. With the remaining time that I have for this program, I want to tell you what the most important thing is to consider when you are reading the Bible. That is that you are not reading the Bible to get to know the Bible. You are reading the Bible in order to get to know the person who wrote it. That, in my opinion, is what you must always keep in mind. That what you are reading may be a paraphrase of what was originally written, but it is at least enough, or it will give you something to go on in order to better understand the God who is testified of by what was written, and that He is your objective. The Bible is not really your objective. It is the God who is testified of, who is your objective. It is He who you want to know. When you take a course at a college or university, you normally get a textbook, and you study this textbook in order to get to know all of the content that is there in the textbook. It is the academic exercise that most all of us are familiar with, if not in college or in the university. People do this in high school. They do this all the time. You know what it means to pick up a book and study the book to get to know the contents that are in the book. The Bible is unique. The Bible is the testimony written by many authors. It is the testimony of our God. And the more you study, or at least the more that I study, the contents that are found there in terms of the testimony that people have recorded and written down, the more I study it, the more I see that God had his hand in these writings to the extent where I have great confidence in saying that through his influence and through his inspiration, he truly is the author of the books that we have that compiled together make up the Bible. So we read it, we study it in order to get to know him, not the contents of the text which is unique only to the scriptures. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,